Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here with John Mitchell. We hope you're all staying warm as cold fronts streak across the country. And if you're listening, I'm imagining you have power of some sort, hopefully. But uh, for those of you who are struggling with you know, intermittent blackouts and everything. I feel for you here in State College. Um, we've been dealing with freezing rain and everything. So uh, while the infrastructure here can handle the winter weather, I totally understand what's going on in other places. I've dealt with power outages before. Uh, I think the longest one I had to deal with was five days when I was in Wyoming uh, growing up. That was That was a crazy one. Uh, thank goodness for gas stoves and one, you know, wood burning stoves. All you know, beautiful things. So hopefully, you know, all of you listening out there are staying warm, staying uh, as as comfortable as you possibly can, and also continuing to stay safe with the pandemic that is not going away anytime soon. So this week, you know, hopefully to take your mind off of everything that's going on around the world, we've got a fun couple of topics to talk about. First, in our first segment, we'll be going into Gus Malzahn at UCF. Uh, What will the former Auburn coach do now that he's in Orlando and fighting for American Athletic Conference titles? That'll be our topic in this first segment. And then after the break, we will go into spring football. We're not talking about practices, folks. This is the FCS season. We've already had one game played in spring ball, and we have a full slate of games coming up for the, you know, the official kickoff of the FCS season. So we'll be breaking that down a bit and and talking about, you know, some of the broader topics around that. Obviously, you can also go back and, and listen to our FCS preview from the summer when we had absolutely no clue what was going to be going on. Uh, some of it is still relevant. Obviously, some of it with uh, opt-outs and early decisions and you know declaring for the draft and everything else. It's not going to be 100%, but that's a gr- good place to start, and we'll get into more of the nuts and bolts after, after our break. But before we do, John, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Uh, it, like you said, it's been crazy weather and stuff. Even down in the the Gulf, it's been cold down here. So, I mean, it got into the, the 20s last night, which has made people just freak out down here. We're very unused to that uh, in the in the Gulf down here. So, um, you know, uh, definitely our thoughts are with everybody who are dealing with power outages in Texas and other places and stuff that are dealing with that. It's been horrible to deal with i had about a week's worth of that when the hurricane hit down here so i know how terrible it can be but at least it was you know 80 degree weather so you can weather that a little easier than when it's you know two degrees outside and you're having to deal with that so you know hopefully everybody will get over this real quick the weather will start warming up again um and everything will be you know more normal in that regard i feel like we've dealt We've all dealt with enough crap the last year, so it'd be nice if uh, things got back on track uh, in the very near future. I'm right there with you, John. Couldn't agree more. Before we dive into our look at the FCS, let's take a quick break to acknowledge one of our sponsors of this week's show, Manscaped. All of the tools you need to keep yourself groomed and looking great downstairs. We have a special deal for all of our listeners. Uh, you can use the promo code fansided20 at manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping with your order. We all uh, have our stories with grooming. What do you think about, about the gear that Manscaped provides? Everybody's had a mishap when they're trying to groom down there, and this makes it um, a lot easier, a lot smoother, uh, and they have a lot of products um, to go along with it, a lot of stuff that will, you know, soothe after you shave and stuff like that. They have a ton of products. Um, I can't recommend them highly enough. You know, you're used to us talking ball, and now we're talking balls. Um, Manscaped, great product. 
Yeah, so get yourself a lawnmower 3.0 today. Use that promo code fansided20 at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Well, let's dive in now, John, to look at what is going on down there in Orlando. Obviously, you have some familiarity with Gus Malzahn, given how he was coaching uh, for the past, was it seven years, eight years at your uh, at, at, at your school's rival? Eight years, yeah. So, yeah, eight, he's been there for eight. Eight years, yeah. And, you know, honestly, in terms of coaches in the SEC West, other than Nick Saban, which, you know, he's the juggernaut that everybody is measured against, Gus Malzahn was right there as basically the second best coach for quite some time in that in that division. Um, at least if you take the, to- the total body of work that he put in there. So, you know, I guess, first of all, we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we looked at the coaching carousel, but do you think Auburn made the right move getting rid of him in the first place? No, I think it was uh, a terrible move on Auburn's part. And we talked about that uh, in regards to a couple, either last week or the week before, everything's kind of a blur recently, but uh, in terms of talking about Brian Harson as Auburn's next coach, it didn't feel like Auburn upgraded to me um, getting Harson over Malzahn. I think that was the wrong move. I think Malzahn's a good coach and I've, I've said that for a long time. I've been, I feel like it's weird as an Alabama fan that I have constantly gone to bat for an Auburn football coach for so long. But I mean, Zach can attest to this, everybody, that I've been going to bat for Malzon for several years when his name's been coming up um, and being potentially canned. Like, and everybody's acted like it's because I want Auburn not to have a great football coach. But I think he did really well with the Tigers and. He's the only coach other than Saban that's won multiple SEC West division titles in the last decade or so. You know, if it's not been Alabama, typically it's been Auburn. I mean, LSU got one recently, but before that, I mean, Auburn won in 2013. They won the West. Alabama won 14, 15, 16. Auburn won again in 17 before Bama won in 18, then LSU in 19 and Bama in 20. So Auburn's won multiple SEC West titles. He's beaten Saban, what, in 2013, 2017, and 2019. So three times he's beat Saban head-to-head, which is more than any other coach, um, I believe, in the entire SEC uh, currently. So, I mean, he's done about as well as could have reasonably been expected. The problem at Auburn is expectations are never reasonable. So, to me, Zach, I think this is a home run hire for UCF. I was – and, you know – Honestly, I was impressed that Malzahn didn't take that buyout and go sit on the couch for a while, because if we're being honest, that's what I would have done. That's what Zach would have done as well. I know we would have taken that $21 million or whatever it is, and we would have gone and done nothing for quite some time, Uh, sat on the couch, you know, sipping coffee about 1230 in the afternoon every day after we finally woke up from our drunken stupor. So, (laughs) um uh, I, I'm impre- I'm happy and impressed that he is going after it. I think this is a great landing spot for him. UCF has been, even though they haven't, you know, been the cream of the crop in the group of five the last couple of years, they're still, to me, the standard of the group of five in recent seasons. I, I think they upgraded, too. They lost Josh Hoople to Tennessee. I think UCF hired the better coach than Tennessee hired and Auburn hired. So I think this is a massive home run for the Knights. Uh, I think Malzahn's going to do spectacularly well there. They're an offensive-minded school. He's an offensive-minded coach. It feels like a perfect match to me, Zach. What do you think? You know, I, I I was surprised that they got rid of Malzahn at Auburn in the first place. Obviously, the expectations are there, but this is a coach who went 500 or better in SEC play in six of his eight seasons. Uh, this is a guy who never finished below 500 overall. Went bowling every year, uh, 39 and 27 in SEC play. And, you know, he, he gets to go back down to the group of five level now. This, you know, Melzon is also somebody who cut his teeth at that level, winning a conference championship in the Sun Belt at Arkansas State. 
in his one season before coming back to Auburn. So yeah, he's a damn good coach. And, you know, you mentioned the expectations at Auburn and how there's sometimes, not sometimes, pretty much always unrealistic. I have to wonder though, are the expectations, it, you know, obviously the, the level is different. This, you know, the conference you're playing in is different, but is the pressure or the stakes really that different? You know, are, are the expectations that different in Orlando than they are on the planes, um, you know, relative to division and, you know, competition that you're playing against. I personally think the stakes might be even higher at UCF with a school that, you know, as you said, is the standard bearer of the moment at the very least. But we've seen standard bearers fall. You mentioned Brian Harson. He's not at, at Boise State anymore. And he left Boise State in part because that school has fallen off as the standard bearer in the group of five ranks. So it's not a guarantee that it happens forever, but UCF has the institutional advantages that pretty much no other school outside the Power Five has. You know, they have the biggest metropolitan campus in the country. They have uh, a growing athletic department. They have a real interest in investing in their athletic teams. They pay their coaches better than some Power Five schools. and you know, this is a situation where at the same time, the expectations are really high because UCF expects to be playing for a New Year's Six game. They expect to be at the top of the American Athletic Conference every year. And so do teams like Memphis. So does a team like Houston that's been there. You know, both of them had been at the top of the mountain before and want to get back there as well. Cincinnati is right there in, in the mix. Um you have schools like SMU that have shown real promise, schools like Tulsa that have done the same, Navy's been there before. Um, even, even the rival down I-4 in Tampa, you know, South Florida has been there before. And all of these schools have that expectation of wanting to be the standard bearer. So yeah, it was in a recent article at The Athletic by Andy Staples where Malzahn was quoted talking about the UCF job and, you know, he he was from his uh, Monday press conference, and you know he said that he would always talk to the other Auburn coaches watching UCF and say that quote if the right guy ever got to UCF and would stay there and would build it everybody else would be in trouble end quote and I mean at least obviously coaches will say what they need to to jazz up the fan base to get boosters behind them sure but if he is genuine about staying there and being the guy to build it up i think malzahn is a great fit in that regard uh and he understands that being at the group of five level you can play for real things and i think ucf if they do push to bolster non-conference schedules and if the american athletic conference continues to field you know, four, five, possibly six teams that could be ranked in any given season. That just bodes even better for the Knights and for everybody else in the league. So, you know, I'm I, I'm impressed that UCF was able to land him. Uh, this feels much better. It, it feels like a much better situation in terms of a former Auburn coach jumping from the Power Five to the Group of Five. Um, I'm obviously talking about Tommy Tuberville here. He had that stop in Lubbock in between. But, you know, I don't think this is a situation kind of like that that falling, you know, kind of dropping down and, and letting interest slide. I see something like what Frank Solich was able to do after being fired by Nebraska and going to Ohio and building sustained success, except... Gus Malzahn can do that on overdrive in Orlando with the institutional advantages that are in place. So I, I think the sky's the limit for this team. Um, obviously, it requires hiring correctly, but I think Malzahn has 
the scheme and he has the talent there in place already with with Dylan Gabriel, a loaded backfield, talented people on both sides of the ball who can make the, you know, the vision a reality really quickly. And he's got a point to prove. You know, you, you've got a guy who feels like he was wrongfully terminated. And I, I would agree with him that, you know, we talked about before the season how difficult in the pandemic year it is to judge a coach. And I mean, Auburn had some issues that loss to South Carolina, I think, is what really hurt. But otherwise, what they lost to Alabama, they lost to Georgia. I mean, they lost to a lot of quality opponents that you really can't blame uh, the coaching staff for, in my opinion. I mean, they, they lost to teams who were just flat out better than them this year, and that happens, um, particularly at a place like Auburn. So, and that's not, you know, that's me kind of taking a shot, but whatever. Um, I, I feel like he's got a point to prove. I feel like he's motivated. I think he's a great fit for UCF. And it kind of feels like a guy who would probably be content staying there for a long time, too. There was always rumors of Malzahn potentially leaving Auburn and stuff. But, I mean, to me, that felt like the the Jimmy Sexton effect of leaking that to get raises and extra bonuses and incentives and stuff added to a contract. It wouldn't surprise me if UCF found the guy who's going to be there for the next decade plus and could potentially build them into something even greater than they've already developed over the last few years under, you know, Scott Frost and then Josh Hupel. So I think this is a great match. I am bullish on what Malzahn is going to be able to do in Orlando with the Knights. I think it's going to be no time before they are once again the cream of the crop at the top of the group of five. And it could very well be next year. Cause like you said, with Dylan Gabriel back and all the talent that they have, they're going to be hell to deal with next year. And, and I think they upgraded their head coach and um, despite losing their head coach to a bigger uh, program, they, I think they upgraded getting Malzahn. I think that's just a home run hire. And I think it just speaks to, what UCF has developed into and the kind of program they are now that they were able to make this happen. Uh, and cause I mean, when, when people first left to go to Tennessee, it's not a name you really heard on the carousel. Like you didn't hear Gus Malzahn potentially being the next head coach at UCF. That's not a name that I was really thinking about. And they kind of moved in silence. It kind of felt like, and then, you know, the, a day before the hire was official, there was a, a rumor that he was the leading candidate and it kind of took everybody by surprise. So those are the kind of hires sometimes that really do well, I think. And I think it was brilliant. I, I'm really, um, I'm excited to be able to not hate Gus anymore because I don't really hate the guy. I think he's a smart football coach. I've always, you know, I've always somewhat enjoyed watching his offenses because they've been a pain in my ass for years when they are good and they're run effectively by the right personnel, they can be a massive pain in the ass. And I'm glad he is now somebody else's pain in the ass. Uh, and I think he's going to have a lot of success at UCS. And I'm really excited to see what the Knights can build with him at the helm. Yeah. You know, I, I can't say that I've always liked the guy given what happened in the 2010, 2011 BCS championship game. Uh, but I damn if I don't respect him. I'm right there with you on that. And yeah, you know, I think he did get a raw deal last year. Uh, obviously, he didn't coach in the bowl game. So his six and four record, three of those losses were against top teams that finished in the top seven of the final AP poll. It, yes, the South Carolina loss is tough. Um, but that's pandemic football. Like, as you said, you know, the, the circumstances needed to be taken into account, but they, they really weren't. And, and that's just kind of a sign of that expectation. <clears throat> well, the last question I want to ask you before the break, because you've brought it up so far, um, or you, you, you've talked about a couple of these guys, is who's in the best situation now? Is it Josh Heupel at Tennessee? Is it Brian Harson in Gus Malzahn's old job, or is it Gus Malzahn at UCF? It's Gus. To me, it's absolutely Gus. Like I, I think he's in a great situation. Like you said, the expectations are high, but I think the ceiling might be a little bit higher for him at UCF too. Because I mean, at Auburn for Brian Harson, 
you know, even if he develops his players well, the level that he recruited this year is still going to be difficult to make waves in the West. Tennessee has been a dumpster fire of a program since Philip Fulmer was fired back in 2007, 2008, whatever it was. I can't remember um, off the top of my head, but it's been a dumpster fire of a program. The NCAA is investigating them at this point. There could be sanctions coming down. I wouldn't want anything to do with Tennessee football right now if it was me. And at Auburn, you're competing with Alabama every year. Nick Saban has shown zero signs of slowing down. Texas A&M is a burgeoning powerhouse in the West with Jimbo Fisher out there with all the resources the Aggies have. LSU just signed a top five recruiting class again, a year removed from winning a national championship. And wherever you say about the struggles LSU had, they finished pretty solid at the end of the year. They were playing much better football at the end of the season. So I think that, I mean, really getting over those top, those three programs is going to be difficult. And we saw Sam Pittman have success at Arkansas. Lane Kiffin's got something working at Ole Miss. Mike Leach has built programs wherever he's been. So you got to think he's at least going to have a competitive team at some point in Starkville. That's a brutal uh, slew of coaches to try to go against in the West right now. So I don't envy anybody in that division that's competing against any of those guys at the moment. It's a dog-eat-dog division. So to me, I think Malzahn is in the easily the best situation. I don't envy the jobs that Brian Harson has inherited because Brian Harson has to do better than Gus. If he doesn't do better than Gus, he's out in a few years. And the bar isn't particularly low from where Gus left it. He had, like we've just talked about, he had plenty of success on the Plains. But Harson has to do better than that or no one's going to be pleased with what he's done there. And like I said, Tennessee just has so many problems they're trying to fight through right now, those NCAA investigations. I would be happier, though, still at Tennessee than Auburn because I would hate following a coach who had been fired after having success. It's not like Auburn went 1-9 and nine last year and had won six games in two years or something like that, and it made sense. They were a competitive football team the year before. They were coming off – I mean, they won the SEC West – uh, just three year, three previous seasons. So, I mean, I to me, Harson is in a very difficult situation. Heupel's in a very difficult situation. I don't envy either of those. Gus is easily in the best spot, in my opinion. I think he's in a better spot than he was at Auburn. I think you'll have um, more time to get UCF um, where they need to be and uh, potentially even a more talented roster going forward. Yeah, one. Well, I think that I'm right there with you. I think the UCF situation, it's, you know, it's an upgrade for UCF. And in a lot of ways, in terms of the ability to succeed, it's an upgrade for Malzahn as well. Uh, because you're right about Harson. He has to, you know, Melzahn went 39 and 27 in SEC play. Basically what Harson has to do is put up numbers like he did in seven seasons at Boise State where he went 45 and eight in conference play. But he has to do that in the SEC. He has to replicate those same numbers or else, you know, hiring him was the gamble that didn't work and they're going to go right back and spin the wheel again. It's the same thing with Tennessee. We've seen that, I mean... How many coaches has it been since Fulmer now? I, this is the fourth, the fifth. See what it was. Derek Dooley, um, Butch Jones, Jones, Pruitt, Lane Kiffin for Kiffin. a year. So yeah, five. Yeah, and Pruitt now, yeah. So yeah, five. You know, to be the fifth coach in that line, um, you know, things aren't getting easier in the SEC East and. At Tennessee, that's the expectation. People are still living in the mindset that Peyton Manning and T. Martin are, 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 are I, one of those two are still, you know, in the backfield. It's that hasn't been the case for a long. You got to beat Alabama every now and then at Tennessee. Like people forget that's a rivalry. Third Saturday yeah. in October is a massive rivalry, and they've lost fourteen straight in that. And also, how. Like, say Brian Harson, Zach, say Brian Harson loses the next three Iron Bowls. Is he out? I mean, 
Probably. <laughs> Given the expectations at Auburn, probably. Um, you know, uh, unless that is the only game he loses every year and he's in the college play football playoff every one of those years. That's the only way he could be, you know, that's the only caveat I might put on that. But he would have to win the SEC West, win the SEC, and be in the semifinals for three straight Iron Bowl losses not to hurt him. And he would have to do that in at least two out of those three seasons to make it work, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Malzahn had one stretch where he lost three straight Iron Bowls. They lost in 14, 15, and 16 in a row. But then 13, they had just played a national championship game. And then the year after that, in 17, they won the SEC West. So it's bookended yeah. by two West titles and a national title game appearance. So that's how he got around that. But otherwise, he was competitive in the Iron Bowl in those games. So that's what – I and the way all recruiting, the way Alabama's recruiting – three straight iron bowl losses is probably on the table. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with Malzahn. He, he surprised him won that first one, you know, mm. that, that was, you know, that gives you a buffer and then getting to a national championship game gives you a, a, a much wider buffer, but that isn't even to say that Malzahn needed that buffer. You know, this is a guy whose worst season was last year when he went six and four against an all sec schedule. Um, you know, you have to assume in most years that's five and three, six and two, maybe even depending on who gets scheduled in, in cross division play. So, yeah, so you're talking an eight or nine win season at yeah. the absolute worst. Yeah. You're talking the same sort of record that he's posted, you know, in six of his out of his seven seasons before that he won at least eight games. And the one where he didn't was a seven and six season where they finished dead last in the West. But that's the only time that that's ever happened in his career. And he, that was his third season when he still had the goodwill of a national championship to lean on. And the fact that a lot of those players had left after that. Any last thoughts you want to throw out here? I know it, it can be weird gushing over a former rival like this. But uh, I think we're pretty much in lockstep on Melzahn kind of falling from, you know, what would be a very cherry perch for most people into a much better job and a much better fit for him. So, yeah, no, I mean, totally. I, I think it also speaks to how UCF is viewed nationwide now by coaches, because I, I mean, we all saw the reports that, there were a ton of people interested in that job. So they obviously landed the guy they wanted. It's a great hire. There was a lot of interest there because the program's on the upswing. And, you know, I, I really think that Gus is going to take them to that next level. I would be shocked if he doesn't. Uh, but, you know, wouldn't be the first time Zach and I agreed on something and we're just absolutely unbelievably wrong. So, you know, in... 2023 be prepared for us to talk about the next UCF coach I guess anyway folks let's take a quick break go grab yourself something else to drink use the restroom have a quick smoke break do whatever it is you do during these breaks and we will be right back to talk about the spring FCS football season stay tuned Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast after the break, everybody. We just finished talking about Gus Malzahn landing a cherry gig at UCF. And now it's time to move from the group of five ranks to the FCS. Yes, folks, we didn't know if it would actually happen, but spring football was being played this year on the heels of the fall season that just finished up a little over a month ago. So we've already had one FCS game in this spring season. Uh, McNeese State last Saturday beat Tarleton uh, after they moved up from the Division II ranks this year in a double overtime thriller. Uh, 
Turtle Tim was actually up in this game in, you know, heading into the fourth quarter. They were up, I think it was like 24-10. It was a couple of touchdowns. Uh, McNeese pulled it out in the fourth quarter, had a, had a fourth quarter comeback, scored three touchdowns, and then the rest was history. And, you know, overtime always leads to crazy results. But, you know, this season or this weekend coming up is really the first big, full slate of games for the FCS spring season. Before we dive into some of those stories, John, I have to ask, first of all, does it make sense to be, be playing football right now? I know the whole idea back in July and August when this was announced. And when it originally looked like the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and uh, the Mountain West and MAC were also going to be going along these lines, uh, the whole idea was that we'll have the pandemic under control at this point. It'll be much safer, um, especially at smaller schools that can't afford necessarily to test daily. Uh, but obviously, that's not the case. Um, we just passed 500,000 deaths from COVID-19 in the United States. Uh, those numbers don't seem to be dropping heavily anytime soon, um, at least until we get more comprehensive vaccine distribution across the United States. Uh, so does it make sense for FCS schools to be playing a spring season this year? Probably not. I think the big hope was that they were gonna have the platform two in the spring where they wouldn't be competing week in and week out with the FBS games. So if, you know, cause you've got not, I've, you know, dealt with this all the time growing up where I grew up five minutes away from Jacksonville state stadium. And I probably went to maybe two Jacksonville state football games ever. Cause they always played on Saturday and I wasn't going to skip watching an Alabama game on TV in order to watch Jacksonville State play uh, live. And, and as fun as it is to go to one of those games, and it is a lot of fun, it's just, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd rather watch Alabama play than Jacksonville State. So I think the big hope, Zach, was that they were going to have a bigger platform in the spring. But just based on, you know, seeing the TV schedule and stuff like that, it doesn't really feel like they're going to have that platform during the spring that they um, were hoping for. I mean, a lot of these games, like I was just looking at the schedule uh, while we were talking about it, it looks like most of these games are on ESPN plus. So they're not getting that ESPN, ESPN two, excuse me, or even ESPN U platform uh, for the majority of these games. So they're not going to get the eyeballs. I think they were hoping for to really recoup some of the revenue. So, I mean, if they were going to play, they probably should have just gone ahead and played in the fall, or if not, just gone ahead and canceled and played next fall. And, you know, like you said, we were very hopeful um, uh, a year ago now almost that things would, naive even, I would say, that things were going to be mostly under control uh, after a few months or, you know, if we couldn't do the fall, then yeah, definitely by spring of 21, COVID will be gone. We'll be totally fine. No problem. And, you know, obviously that hasn't been the case, even with the vaccine coming out, it's still rolling out very slowly. There's still a lot of people who need it, who can't get it yet. And, you know, things are getting better, I think, slightly. And we are starting, I think, hopefully, and maybe this is me being naive or overly optimistic again, that maybe we're seeing a small just glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel that maybe come fall, things will be relatively, you know, not the same. It'll never be the same. But maybe by the fall, we're back into semi-normalcy where most people, or at least a lot of people, have been able to get vaccinated to the point that herd immunity maybe actually for once becomes a thing in regards to it. Um, and like we talked about a few weeks ago, like just going to a college football game again is something we both really want to do in the fall if it's safe to do so. So, you know, 
I, I, I don't think it makes sense to play this spring season. And, you know, the top prospects for the FCS aren't going to play the guys who are, you know, going to have potential to go to the NFL anyway. So, you know, I just, I, I wish that they were going to get the showcase that they hoped for. And instead it just kind of feels, it honestly kind of feels pointless at this point. Yeah. I mean, I just look at that opening week slate that's coming up on Friday and Saturday, and we already have two games postponed on that schedule. It already <laughs> feels like it's starting to look exactly like it did in those early weeks of the FBS season in the fall, where you know you saw a couple of games be postponed, and then you saw a couple of more until by the end of the regular season, it was 12 to 15 games a week that were being postponed. Uh, so, and, and, and that's what really worries me is these schools don't have the kind of infrastructure of a power five school if, you know, outbreaks happen on their team. And let's face it, based on what we saw this, this fall, outbreaks will happen on these teams. Um, these aren't people who are going to be prioritized for, for vaccination. They're not, I mean, you can't afford the same level of testing and, um, you know, just policing even of the players, you know, like you can with a large staff and and support staff at a, a power five school. So yeah, from just from the epidemiological standpoint, this seems pardon my language, but it's kind of stupid as hell. At the same time, I love FCS football, and I really hope that, you know, ESPN and some of these other networks do pick up some of the games just to give these schools that showcase. But I mean, at the same time, we think about a school like North Dakota State, you know, and in our preseason preview last late June, early July, when we were, you know, looking at it as though a season might still happen as normal or looking at it, you know, what would it be if it happened as normal? So much of what we talked about, um, especially concerning a team like defending champion North Dakota State just kind of flies out the window. They're not going to have Trey Lance playing for them this year. And that can be said, you know, as you mentioned, the best NFL prospects from these FCS schools aren't going to be there. We've seen some schools already, you know, continue to decide to opt out. It, you know, they've even pared down the FCS championship from a 24 school bracket to a 16 school bracket for this year because of the diminished size of the field. So just like it did in the fall, for me, it feels, it's not even surreal. It just feels hollow, you know, um, whatever comes out of this is going to feel very contrived. Well, also, Zach, I think we're preconditioned for specific times of the year to care about specific sports. You know, and February and March just doesn't typically feel like the time of year we would give a shit about football. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, you know, I I know I like basketball a lot more than you do, for instance, but I'm fully full steam ahead with, you know, college basketball and the NBA right now. Like, particularly because Alabama's got one of their best basketball teams they've had in forever. So I'm pretty excited about that. And just, I don't know, it kind of feels weird to even want to care about football right now. And I'm a football junkie. I mean, you you know this. We're both football junkies. But, you know, I know if I feel that it's weird that there's football right now, what does the casual fan of football that's not a diehard think about it right now? And I think this is also a big reason why, why – you know, spring football leagues in the past, like the AAF, like arena foot or not arena football, um, XFL haven't had success because this time of year, people just don't have it in their mind that it's football season. They don't care as much. They're focused on basketball, 
Baseball is going to get started, unfortunately, in another month or so. So you have all of that going on. And then whatever obscure sports that Zach is currently watching right now, like I don't know if it's cricket season or if it's inline skating season or what the hell Zach's currently watching. But um, you know what I mean? Like it's just it doesn't feel like football season in February and March. Yeah, this is well, this is Australian Open time of the year right now. There we go. So we've got the first Grand Slam going on in tennis. But it's hockey I did season. Know that. Yeah, it's hockey season for me. Montreal actually doesn't entirely suck this year, so it's actually been right. been kind of fun to follow for a change, um, rather than that sort of uh, doom and gloom that all of us fans go through from time to time. Continuing to support the colors, even when those colors make you just want to cry. Uh, so yeah, Zach, you, you know, know that like when I first tried to get into hockey, like the year after I did, the Atlanta Thrashers left and went to Winnipeg, like, and I immediately lost interest. How depressing! I was actively everybody Zach knows this because him and I talk about it, actively trying to become a hockey fan. Watch like twenty something games of the Thrashers, even though they weren't any good, and they just immediately left and went and became the Winnipeg Jets which everybody else seemed to be happy about because Winnipeg obviously deserves to have a franchise. It was kind of a crushing blow to my hockey fanship. Atlanta has a really tough history with losing hockey teams to Canadian cities uh, because the Calgary Flames were originally the Atlanta Flames. And uh, yeah, then the Thrashers ended up becoming the second incarnation of the Winnipeg Jets after Winnipeg originally lost their team to the Phoenix Coyotes or uh, now the Arizona Coyotes after that slight rebrand. But yeah, I I don't know that everybody out there is a big hockey fan. So sorry for that detour down NHL lane for all of you that aren't necessarily fans of the ice. But, you know, depending on what you follow football for, hockey is a great parallel to watch this time of year if you're not into uh, football. So, yeah, not to steer everybody, you know, away from football by any means, but we understand uh why your eyeballs might be going away and i i i think that's why it is such an uphill battle for the fcs uh because you know the real question is networks like espn like fox sports like nbc sports they have their programming dialed in right now you know the the nbc it's nhl time for them um, you know, you think about ESPN, the college sport, as you mentioned, that they're focused on right now is not played on a gridiron. It's played on a hard court. You know, what else can we say about that side of it besides good luck to the FCS, I guess? Um, and I hope the teams that do get to play, you know, have the barest minimum of, of COVID-related issues on those teams because, you know, the players that we have seen impacted by this do have real impacts and the players that we've seen have the heaviest impacts of it like Jermaine Stevens at the, the division three level are the ones at schools that don't necessarily have the full infrastructure in place to support everything and you know the financial wherewithal to do everything possible in terms of testing but let's think about actual games for a second. We have, what is it, I, about a dozen games coming up this weekend. I think when you take out some of the uh, postponed games, and honestly, the one that's really kind of staring me right in the face as I look at it is Friday's game between South Dakota State and Northern Iowa. That is just such a hot Missouri Valley Conference game to start the season off with um, that I think right out of the gate, one of those two teams is going to, you know, keep themselves in, in conference contention. And the other one is kind of going to become an afterthought in some ways, especially because it is a shortened season. So, you know, if you had to, you know, we definitely talked about both of these teams somewhat uh, in 
in the summer and not necessarily knowing um, or really having done a ton of comparison between what their rosters were then and what they actually look like now. Uh, do you think that that game is going to be the most impactful of this weekend? And who do you think is most likely to come out on top? Yeah, I mean, that's the game that jumps off the page when you look at the the calendar for the weekend, for sure. Those are two typically pretty good FCS programs that, you know, have playoff potential. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the big game of the weekend. That's the one I wish was going to be nationally televised they could have figured out you know like you said espn has contracts they're going to play nba games on friday nights that's just how that works uh and always has worked so i wish they could have figured out how to put them on one of the espn networks they Uh, have a network called espnu yeah i mean if, if nothing else you have a network that is devoted to college sports I'll be interested to see what's on ESPNU Friday night. I don't have the calendar in front of me, but uh, I assume some obscure college basketball game probably uh, will be on in place. But, I mean, I would rather watch this than that. The thing about it is everybody's always excited about the prospect of spring football when it's June or something. We have no football to watch, and we've been angrily waiting for there to be football games again. Then we watch the fall slate, and then we get to spring, and no one cares anymore. So, I I'm I'm excited about this game. I have ESPN Plus. I will probably try to watch um, at least some of it because it does feel like one of the premier games on the schedule. Uh, not just this weekend, but potentially the entire schedule uh, for the FCS this year. Um, this is one of those contests that it feels like is kind of a toss-up in my mind between these two. Uh, I would stick with the home team if I was trying to handicap it. So to me, it's Northern Iowa, but I mean, I could see it definitely going either way. There's talent on both sides there, and both teams have um, a lot of potential to be one of the, you said 16 teams uh, in the FCS playoff this year. I think both teams have a lot at making that. It's also weird to watch like Jacksonville State is technically three and one going into their FCS schedule because they played four games in the fall and now they're going into playing these FCS games or their, you know, this season in the spring. So it is another thing that I think we'll look back on in 10 years at just the absurdity of what the 2020-2021 college football season slash seasons were. You know, as you said, the fact that some schools played in the fall, the fact that some did not, the fact that schools played in the, you know, the schools that played in the fall carry over that record, but they don't necessarily bring all the players that played in the fall with them. It's it's a weird situation all around, but frankly, it's been chaos all around this whole damn year, everybody. you know, last year at this time on the podcast, we were talking about Mark D'Antonio suddenly leaving Michigan State. And it feels like it's just consistently gotten crazier and crazier with each passing week. So, in, 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 a, in a year full of craziness, what's crazier than starting up a bunch of FCS football in the spring? Yeah, honestly, it probably makes sense in that nothing has made sense. So this is just kind of fitting uh, to finish off whatever you want to call this spring season. It's a cavalcade of chaos is what it is. That's what I'm going to call it. But, you know, my real hope at this point in terms of FCS football, like I said, is that everybody makes it to the finish line as healthy as possible, that we have as few of these postponements and cancellations as possible, that we see as few COVID cases across the entire FCS as possible, and on teams like New Mexico State that are fielding teams this this spring as well. And they're able to get as much positive press and exposure out of it as possible. Because these are the schools that are hurting most 
in terms of their athletic departments. These are the schools that didn't get paycheck games in the fall against uh, the juggernauts of the FBS. They, you know, they didn't go take their beating and get the funds that fund all of their sports for another entire season in some cases. So let's give them as much love as possible. If you have ESPN Plus, show that that there are people out there who are interested in these athletes, if nothing else. Any final thoughts on your end, John? Uh, you know, not really. Like, I think you put it perfectly when it comes to, you know, if you can show these guys support because, uh, you know, they're playing under much more difficult circumstances than any of the FBS programs we watched in the fall. So uh, definitely tune in if you're able to, if you have the ability to do so. Um, and, you know, I, you will get some fun football games out of it. The FCS always produces um, some fun football games like Zach talked about in the beginning. Uh, the first one that we saw was, I mean, it went to overtime. So, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun uh, to check in on that game. So uh, it'll be, it's football. Uh, a year ago, a little less than a year ago, we were worried about not getting to watch football for you know, almost two full calendar years. So we're excited about the prospect of um, if we go back a year ago to our thought process, the fact that we could watch even more football in the spring than normal. I mean, that's, I mean, that's incredible. We'd have been very excited about that last year about this time. Yeah. For all of you who complained about bowl games that were canceled this season, this is your second chance. That's exactly what this is. This is your second chance. You don't know how many spring games we're going to get at schools this year that will actually get televised. Um, you know, I haven't heard yet, for instance, in here in State College, what the blue and white game is going to look like at Beaver Stadium if it even happens. This is your chance. FCS football is your chance now. So take that chance or shut the hell up if you're going to cry about not having football for the next seven, eight months, uh, because you're not getting EA sports to give you a game for another two or three years. And hopefully they've nailed out the situation where they have the FCS in these games by then. If it's in the game, it's in the game, right? That's correct. I'll drink to that. Well, on that note, let's toast that and send ourselves out for another week of the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in every week. We hope you have a good rest of your Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this. And we'll be back with you next Wednesday morning with another episode.